0: You're listening to the Mind Made Wrong Podcast, presented by Steel Maggie, episode number 43. beautiful creators i am steel maggie and you are listening to the mind made wrong podcast this episode we are joined by martin say hello
1: what's up yes good to be here
0: this is gonna be an (laughs) awesome interview thank you for um joining me today in my crazy hairness and for those of you on audio on the audio streaming platforms um In part two when it is released next week we will be on video for you and you'll get to see this crazy 90s haircut that I'm sporting and it's absolutely ridiculous um, but it's awesome and I'm gonna go with it and I'm gonna rock with it okay so let's just let's enough of me although I could talk about myself all day um, let's talk about Martin because Martin is one of the dopest motherfuckers on this planet Um, I just I love Love them. Um, so tell us where we can find you, first of all, because um, a lot of times, you know, we don't want to leave it towards the end of the podcast because sometimes people tune out. Don't tune out, guys. First, first and foremost, don't tune out. But <laughs> but we want to know right off the bat where we can find you on social media, um, you know, YouTube, if you have one, Spotify. Um, where are you at?
1: so martin the martin gashiri experience g-a-c-h-i-r-i i'm on soundcloud instagram i have a youtube page where i'm mostly doing like guitar covers so that's more of a third party type of thing but uh yeah basically that's where you can find me
0: absolutely okay yep. i love it it's, it's mgx
1: yes mgx
0: the experience. Tell yes. us because you were telling me, um, tell everyone else it's not it's it has nothing to do with Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> right? Nothing Yeah, do-
1: <laughs> you know what? I didn't realize this until very recently. Um, thanks to Disney Plus. I was watching <laughs> Even Stevens and uh <laughs> there's an episode where he's in a uh Lewis starts a band and uh it's like this making the band type of episode is weird and uh or behind the music or something like that. And um he starts the Lewis Stevens experience. And when I was watching this episode, I realized that has to be where I got it from because it like <laughs> triggered something in my head. And it was <laughs> it was a very intense, um, what do you call it? Like deja vu type of thing. So sadly, it has nothing to do with Hendrix. Yeah. You, you
0: were driven. You were so driven to have that yeah. name. Yeah, it's,
1: it's,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean like, <laughs> It's good. It works. Like I was I just sit, I sit I was I was just watching um Hillary Duff on um uh, not hillary, uh, lizzie mcguire lizzie i mean McGuire, i love yeah. I, hillary i know i just love hillary duff mm. but like i was watching lizzie mcguire mm. um and i was oh my god this show was so <laughs> good and i'm get, mm. probably going to revisit the lizzie mcguire movie like really uh, like soon i love that movie <laughs> when they go to rome and mm. oh my god um most of the t- you know you know it's very funny that like a lot of times um it's so crazy because steel nostalgia is all about mm. um like two thousands music and like two thousands like you know early two thousands culture and like all, mm-hmm. a lot of podcasts that I've been a lot of guests a lot of interviews that I've been starting have always started mm-hmm. off talking about some kind of two thousands little tidbit so I don't know it's, it's I'm Glad I
1: could uh, contribute. Yeah, glad, you yeah. could,
0: <laughs> glad you could <laughs> contribute. Okay, let's get into it. Tell us your origin story, please. Tell us about how martin came to be how the experience Uh, came to be reality
1: um that's a i I love that question (laughs) (laughs) um so i don't really come from like a musical family so um but i was raised around a lot of different types of music like my dad loves bob dylan and stuff like that so um i when i was i think like 10 or 11 12 something like that I saw um some 41 on TV and that's when I knew that I wanted to play guitar that's like the first time I something in me was like I need to start doing this and uh so I started taking lessons and uh from there it was kind of me trying to become a metalhead I thought that's where I was headed and uh so yeah it's like me in a house full of like non-metal participants and I'm trying <laughs> to be like a metal and you know when I started playing my parents had me on an acoustic guitar cuz they weren't sure I was serious about it. So I'm trying to like play metal on an acoustic guitar in a house full of people who don't want to hear that kind of stuff. So
0: kind of adversity <laughs> just, yeah. from
1: from the stop um from the top, you know, from the start.
0: Like, a lot of yeah, muting.
1: Like yeah, a lot of chugging. That. Yeah.
0: Oh my yeah. god, that's hysterical. I love it. Like that's oh my god, that's so funny. I love it. I love it. Keep going.
1: <laughs> um so yeah it's, it's it's as cringy as it sounds, but once I did it for you know about a, a year or two, um I guess my parents like they could see I was really into it and that I was kind of serious about it so i remember I remember that my dad bought me a uh, epiphone and like a little like Marshall amp, and that was a very intense day because I could finally play you know Metallica songs and some 41 stuff and have it sound like it was supposed to, so that was a very important. You know what do you call it like a very important moment i guess in that career was getting that electric guitar because it kind of opened up the whole world of possibilities for me yeah
0: i love it okay so you are in a band currently you have two yes. acts you have you you have
1: oh uh, yeah <laughs> the you one i completely you. failed to mention yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> you have you and you have Melolando, which we are both friends pals with bender um who is said frontman of said band um and tell us a little bit about mellow
1: so uh mellow lando um i joined that band after i uh was in muse which is a uh, cal poly club which is uh for musicians across majors who want to get together and play cover songs we would meet every week and there were a lot of musicians i met there that i'm still you know, in contact with, but basically he was in a band made up of people from that club. And, uh, once a vacancy opened up in the, uh, guitar department, um, <laughs> which never reached, happens, <laughs> right. <laughs> he, uh, he reached out to me and that was kind of the first time that someone asked me, Hey, like, would you like to be in my band? So, um, that had a lot to do with me, uh, joining in the first place. Um, and then when I heard the music, I'm like, okay, I can definitely get behind this." So um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, it's good. Let's talk about your um, musical style Mm. and um, what do you, let's talk about your lyrical themes. What do you write about? What um, it can be for both? I know because you have more of a collaborative, um, it's more of a collaborative aspect when it comes to Melo because there's like Mm. four people. Um, But um, tell us a little bit about um, your artistry when it comes to both acts Mm. and how you kind of separate that.
1: Okay, so um, I'll just start off, as far as separating them, it's, it's a lot easier um, to separate um, Melo Lando because I'm not asked to contribute as much songwriting-wise, so mm-hmm. it kind of helps to feel as if I'm part of a team helping create someone else's vision for the most part, but even when I do you know, contribute for Melo Lando, um, it's very similar to my uh, solo work as far <laughs> as the lyrical content because uh-huh. it's typically about you know relationships and the feelings behind those which i know is sounds vague but i mean that <laughs> covers pretty much 99 percent of music right um
0: yeah yeah it's yeah i mean <laughs> it can be it can be i don't it's funny i really don't write a lot about hmm. i think i write about relationships when it comes to myself i write about my relationship with myself um uh-huh. i i have like I can count the number of like love songs I've written on one hand and that was because I did the, um, the 30 day challenge. So like something had to come out, mm-hmm. you know?
1: <laughs> like, no, but I actually, I like the way you said that though. Um, a love song, because I would, I would consider the stuff I'm writing to be like relationship music, but I wouldn't call it a love song. So I, I like, Okay. I think I'm casting a pretty wide net when I say the feelings behind it, because when I think of relationships, And kind of the drama behind it a lot of it has to do with how i feel about myself you know Mm -hmm. so um so yeah i like how you put that because it's i would consider it relationship related because it stems from those type of things or at least when i write yeah adjacent there you go (laughs) for it but uh yeah i've written probably yeah very few like love songs like i love this person or i love you know what i mean like i don't know slow jams or stuff like i don't really
0: it's not like, either. you know, like, it's not, it's not, um, you know, let's get it on Marvin Gaye. You no know, hips uh, moving. Uh, <laughs> no Al Green.
1: Not, <laughs> not oh. <laughs> I'm trying to picture myself singing like Al Green. Um, yeah, none of that. I haven't really tried that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, relationship with myself. That would be
0: cool. <laughs> so
1: that's an idea. Something to put on the, uh, to-do list. Definitely. <laughs> but yeah.
0: <laughs> Al Green is, a, is not Motown, but it's he's got some influences, you know, I def- definitely came from out of that, you know, like, I think a lot of, you know, or like soul artists came, like, did have a lot of influences there, so you <laughs> could do, like, Motown Martin.
1: Ooh. <laughs> See, <laughs> alliteration gets me, so you already, <laughs> I'm sold already.
0: You got <laughs> it. No, you have to do that now. <laughs> Yo, okay. You know so, what? I'm
1: calling wh- it now. That's like a three song, three to five song project right there.
0: Yep, Motown Martin. Motown That's Martin. I see yeah. I, I things start on this podcast that like I cannot control. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be ready. It's funny though, because that was a a big like influence before I started playing guitar. My parents had this um CD collection that was like um Motown put out their I think it was like their number one singles and they would put them out by like era. So they had, you know, I don't know, 50s through 60s or whatever, and then 60s through 70s and 70s, 80s. And my parents, I don't know which volume they had, but it had like The Temptations and Marvin Gaye. So that was stuff that I was listening to when I was maybe like eight or nine. Um, it, I don't know. It obviously didn't have like a direct influence as far as me writing like that. But uh, it's just interesting that you brought that up. It's like it wasn't on accident.
0: I don't think a lot, most things aren't on accident in general. I'm kind of going through that kind of, I was telling you earlier, like, woo-woo shit, but I, 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 I don't really believe in accidents anymore. I'm not really sure what I believe, but it's not, I am, I am, yeah, this is not about me. <laughs> but I can quickly turn it around. Um, so let's talk about when it comes to um not just the lyrical influences but your your musical influences like who what kind of genres do you listen to that feed into your creativity and your output hmm.
1: when it comes so, to
0: the experience
1: so to yeah when it comes to uh the martin gashiri experience um i'm noticing as i look back because you know it kind of in preparation for this i started looking back at my soundcloud which goes back to maybe 2013. And I'm looking at what I was writing back then and it's like a lot of it is dictated by what I'm listening to at the time, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. the earlier stuff might have some more punk and ska influence um, as I was, you know, still hanging on to that kind of Warped Tour phase in my life, which was very important to me. I never really was in a ska band, but um, I was really into Big D and The Kid's Table. <laughs> and I love the Aquabats, so I feel like there was remnants of that in the early stuff, not in so much as horn arrangements, but just in like you know skanky guitar and stuff like that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and as time went on, um it was me trying to find my own voice in kind of this alternative sound is that's the way I'll put it because uh i love I love hip hop, I love ska, I love metal, I love punk, but it's like how do I make? that stuff kind of work you know what I mean so mm-hmm. acts that influenced me directly I would say like Fishbone was huge for me because I didn't realize you could be in a band that has you know that many sounds across you know one project and have that be okay
0: mm-hmm. um
1: another singer-songwriter uh Cody Chestnut was very influential to me um he's kind of this weirdo acoustic dude who he wrote soul music he, he's the kind of guy who would sing an Al Green type of song but then he would also do a song that's maybe 90 seconds long that has, you know, an electronic drum kit and is like him rapping It just stuff like that where I was like, it, it made me realize it was okay to be kind of that off the cuff and that, you know, this is just what I'm feeling. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as whatever style I do, that's kind of the overarching theme. The mm-hmm. kind of focus is like whatever I'm feeling, just do it and worry about it later. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you were telling me that um it kind of opened you up to what a song could be and what an artist could be and what it really kind of the freedom that you actually have in creation and being a songwriter um is that something um because that was obviously a long time ago let's start to talk about um how you create now, and what are some of the um, the struggles that you come across when it comes to songwriting when it comes to being an artist?
1: Um, so as far as creating, that's been a um, the way I create it has to vary because I' am I get very stuck. you know I get very set in my ways and one piece of advice I got a long time ago was to change how you start writing, change how you approach it. So um, one thing I like to do is uh, start with a song or start with a title or phrase. Um, There's some like generators I found online where you can just like generate a three to four word phrase. So I'll hear something or read something. And it's like, how do I make sense of this? Or what is what do I think of when I read this? How would I make sense of it? How would I convey it? So it becomes kind of like a challenge type of thing. So as far as struggles, I would say, tying into that, I think the biggest struggle is just um, like a self esteem type of thing because mm-hmm. I kind of have to mm-hmm. coax. I have to like trick myself almost into writing certain things because if someone were to ask me to do something straight off, I'd be like, "Oh no, that would be lame," or "No one would want to hear it." It'd be that kind of thing. So I have to like go about it in weird ways. And there have been a lot of a lot of my favorite songs have been written through looking at a song title or hearing a drum loop and just going off of that, you know. um So yeah, I kind of just have to switch it up, and you know. what works because otherwise i get too bored with myself and that's kind of the worst place to be as as a creative um
0: yeah it's okay absolutely (laughs) do you think um that you you mentioned self-esteem and um that's something that i i think most if not like every single Artist or someone who mm-hmm. considers them even themselves even remotely creative mm-hmm. suffers with is my work enough you know um, um, do I you know if there's an imposter syndrome and as we get mm-hmm. to start to talk a little bit more about um, the mental health and mindset aspects of this uh, uh, in this episode mm-hmm. um, I want to hear about your um, journey you know, when it comes to, um, self-esteem and, um, and self-worth, it's a big topic with me, uh, cause I've got, you know, my single coming out and it's going to be out by the time this episode is going. Yes, um, yes. but it's, it's a big, it's a big topic for me and I'm noticing that it's a big topic for a lot of people and for a lot of my guests. Mm. Um, so with that said, uh, let's, um, talk about a time when, um, in your life when you felt um keeping in the theme with this podcast that either your mind was made wrong or you had a major crisis of self-esteem self-worth mm-hmm. um let's talk about let's talk about that time
1: so um as like when i hear that question the first thing i think of is where i was right after high school you know um it's weird because when I, I think back to when I was graduating, like I gave a speech at my high school graduation, I had like a lot of friends. I felt like a pretty charismatic person, but like inside I was just extremely like, just, I don't know how to even how to put it. Like I just didn't believe in myself at all, but it's like, it mm-hmm. it didn't seem to correspond with what was going on around me. So mm-hmm. um, when I went to college, I started at Cal Poly and I felt like I was kind of just throwing myself into that situation because it was what I was supposed to do. So I'm kind of in this new environment as far as like how, you know, classes work and stuff like that. I was living on campus, so I was kind of throwing myself into this in completely new context of life and I didn't have an idea of who I was in the last one, you know what I mean? So it was kind of this perfect storm for a, you know, like a breakdown. I don't know how else to put it. I kind of had to mm-hmm. take a time out from life. And uh, it ended up lasting maybe like a year and a half to two years where I wasn't in school. I wasn't really doing much. I spent a lot of time alone. Um, and that's where I was forced to really confront myself. So I consider that to be like my, I don't know how to put it, like training ground for my self-esteem and my you know, mm-hmm. current mental state. It's like if it wasn't going to happen there, it wasn't going to happen at all. So mm-hmm. um that's really where I had to learn to be okay with who I was. And in certain contexts, I had to learn to improve myself. You know, um, one thing I don't think gets talked about too often is like the physical health aspect of, you know, depression and mental health. Um, because I know a lot of it for me, as soon as I started like working out more and trying to lose weight and just doing more cardio and stuff like that, there's no way that didn't have a direct effect on, you know, my daily mood and my outlook it gave me like something to look forward to. So that's, that was another big uh, part of that.
0: What did that, I love it. What did that look like for you in that time? Um, how were you living? You know, when you, when you took that break from life, like you said, um, what did that look like for you? Um, when it came to your, um, daily emotions and how you related with other people?
1: So, most days I was just like in my bedroom, like all day. So, as far as it's it's just funny, you say like relating to other people. Um, I guess the closest I got to that was through the internet. You know, I was trying to communicate with people through forums and stuff like that. But I felt like for the most part, I wasn't relating to other people on any kind of level. And it had pros and cons. Like I said, I was forced to confront myself. But the obvious con is that it kind of, detracts from your ability to socialize with people. Um, so it definitely was a, there was like a downside to that, but, um, it was kind of like taking the good with the, with the bad, you know, as far as that's how I feel when I look back on that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so it was just a lot of time, a lot of time alone.
0: A lot of time in isolation. Yeah. Um, that, that makes me think of something that we were talking about in our preliminary call when, um, you were telling me about how um, just in your family and with the way things were at home um, and, you know, through no fault of really anyone's, uh, it was difficult for you to um, express how you were actually feeling and your actual um thoughts on things, and that's kind of translated into, you know, you're still continu- in in life, you know, still mm-hmm. today. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, and, um, and how you're dealing with that now?
1: Um, yeah, so um, there was just, like, some, like, a, how do I put it, like, family turmoil, kind of, at the time, and there are a lot of um, instances where I was having to think, okay, am I better off expressing this or just staying quiet for fear of like causing drama or upsetting somebody or this or that. So, um, I found myself, you know, biting my tongue about a lot of things. Um, and like I said, that carried over into after that where, um, during that time I spent, I told you, like there was a time where I spent two weeks without talking to anybody, without saying anything out loud. And, Mm -hmm. uh, on one hand, I'm like, okay, maybe I talk too much. Like that was a legit thing I was thinking afterward. Maybe I talk too much. And this is a way to like, keep perspective on that. But on the other hand, it kind of carried over for a while where it's like, I got so used to not saying things that it's kind of like, you start to second guess yourself sometimes. So um, as far as now, um, that what it means is that if I'm, I have to make sure I really believe in something and like, yeah, that I really believe in something before I express it. So what that means is that I, the things I say to other people tend to carry more weight to them, because they know if I'm going out of my way to express it, then it actually means something. And it's gone a long way in to helping me like stop taking things personally, or taking things or overthinking certain things, you know, it's easy to have an interaction with somebody, and take away that they looked at you or something they said at you and spend the rest of your day agonizing over it. But not having when I went that long without saying something, um, I was thinking, like, I wonder how many times that happens where it's just like someone doesn't realize that they did something to you. You know what I mean? You might be mad about something and they don't have they have no idea that they even slighted you. So, um, again, it has like pros and cons. Um, I, tr- I try to look at the more positive side of that nowadays. Um, yeah, which means that like my words carry a lot more weight with the people who, who hear them
0: um, do you think it just, it's, it's, it's crazy because I don't shut up and I'm sitting here like two weeks without speaking. Um, and you really like, you don't like, there's so many times when we take things personally. And, um, I think that really, you know, there are things that need to be said, right. And there are things oh, that yeah, need yeah. to be expressed. Um, but do you think that, um, we, I, I mean, yeah, we, I'm just, I'm still thinking about it, two weeks, (laughs) I'm still, like, you told me this in the preliminary call, and then I was, like, reminded, like, oh my god, that's insane, um, but, um, do you think that, um, was that just, did you, was that, like, an experiment, or was, did you just not, it just happened, like, you just didn't speak,
1: I guess it was a bit of both because it started off as just something that just happened. Like I, I went maybe two days without talking to anybody. And at first it was a very, um, a very sad realization. It was a very like, you know, like beating myself up, like, damn, mm-hmm. like I went two days without saying anything and like nobody reached, you know, it's like, you started thinking about the,
0: no one reached out to me. No one loves me. Yeah. No.
1: You start thinking about that, you know, in that way. But then after a few days, I think what helped me from, Going too far down in that direction as I went. Okay, let me see how long I can go. You know, without saying anything and just see what happens. Like it was, I was at a point in life where it's just like, let me just see what happens if I do this. And uh instead of doing something like interesting, like drugs or whatever, I was like, let me just not talk. I don't know. Like some people do. If <laughs> I didn't go to a party or something or have some like weird experience, so I was just like, let me just try not to talk. Um, which I think, I mean, compared to where I was like in high school and before that, like I used to talk a lot. So I felt like it was kind of like two different extremes for me. Um, that's why it's hard for me to like tell anyone to try that. Like it's not, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's not, it's not a mental health tip that you would Not,
1: no, recommend. yeah, no. <laughs> Try
0: um did you feel like after that you were able you kind of knew yourself better? I kinda wanna talk about how you got out of that hole and um some more of the specifics of um baby techniques that you used or how how did you overcome the that deep depression? So that really um, kind of caused you to um yeah, to not speak for two weeks, you know.
1: I'd say the biggest thing was um, as far as starting to get out of that was reaching out to the people around me. Um, It's really weird because I had immediate family available to me in a lot of this, um, like during a lot of that like time that year, year and a half or two year period. But uh, I was kind of choosing to isolate myself from them. So once I started reaching out to them, they were a lot, um, how do I put it? They were like eager to kind of figure out what was, what had been going on. Like, I remember talking to my mom and, uh, like I went to go visit her and she started talking to me. And that was like the first conversation I'd had in that like two week period. And then after, when I told her about it, she's like, she's looking at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, why didn't you just like come by? But she also knew like what that meant. She knew that I, it wasn't just me like feeling down or something that there was like something else going on. So again, like just reaching out to people, like you'd be surprised. It feels like when you feel like you're most a burden, like that's probably the most, the most that someone wants to hear from you. You know what I mean? When you really feel like you're a burden, it's weird. Like it tends to be that's when people like are most eager to like help you.
0: You know, sense Um, it. I think you know. Um, Wow. Wow. Okay, that's my quote. Like when people when you are feeling like the most, like you're a burden and you know, like you're, you know, Mm. a, you know, a a disease to society or whatever, that's when Mm. like people really like, that's when you can benefit obviously the most from it. And that's when I think others can also benefit the most from it. Um, Um, so that's a really good, that's, that's a great mental health tip. Thank you, (laughs) Martin. amazing yes <laughs> hmm. what would you say to those of us who hate talking to people <laughs> even though i love to talk <laughs> yeah. like see that's I, uh <laughs>
1: that's rough that's rough because i'm
0: i can't stop talking but i keep i i, I don't like to like <laughs> i think it's like a humility thing it's like an ego thing you know hmm. it's like oh yeah i'm not, I actually am struggling you know
1: so i i don't know it's like when that kind of ties into the whole you know creative aspect of things because when i wasn't talking to other people when i was kind of forced to confront myself it was coming out in the form of like lyrics or in a guitar riff i used to write these kind of like instrumental guitar pieces i don't know what else to call them um but that was kind of my my idea of expressing what was on my mind you know this kind of a beyond words type of thing and uh so i was able to find something to latch to express myself so if someone doesn't like to talk I would draw something paint something I don't know like write a letter I know Ooh. like something to there's there are other ways there's got to be something out there for everybody to latch onto that can help them get that energy out you know what I mean get mm-hmm. that emotion out mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. That, or some or help them experience community in a way that is not you know too foreign to them Mm. um or some even just like community when it comes to just being in connection with yourself and with Mm. you know whatever you believe to be the universe or god or anything I think it's when we we get so um, isolated you know in all ways of thinking that it's like it's me myself and I you know um it's it's selfishness without realizing that it's selfishness, Mm. I think, I Mm. think, and that's what, you know, depression does is that, you know, um, my mom is a therapist and she's always like, depression is a liar. And I'm like, yeah, mom, I know. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) but she's so right, you know, Mm. and um, it's an isolator. Mm. And um, so I really, I really like that you can do um, many different things Um, that doesn't have to be necessarily talking to someone on the phone.